Hi, and welcome to the Ward and Katie Wilsey podcast. I'm Ward Wilsey, and I'm the CFO of HHS, headquartered in the Austin, Texas area. I'm also a former private bank wealth advisor and practicing attorney. And I'm Katie Wilsey, a licensed Texas real estate agent. We live in the Lake Travis area right outside of Austin with our four kids, two dogs, and one cat. We've been through it all with money, broken in debt to debt-free and wealthy. We're continuing to build our wealth and live happier lives. We're here to talk to you about your money, how to earn more, save more, and invest more. We'll talk about the mistakes we've made and how we've learned from them. We'll give you advice on how you can get control of your financial lives, get out of debt, and be on your way to financial success. So buckle up and get ready to take notes because here comes another episode of The The Ward and Katie Wilsey Podcast. That was a lot better than the first time we did. All right, and welcome to the Warden Katie Wilsey Podcast. Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. What should we talk about first? Our near-death experience, or our road trip, or what we're investing in, or what? Uh, maybe we break the ice a little bit with the road trip. All right. You want to talk about where we went? Yes, we... Uh, um Sorry, it's been a really long week. We just got home from, what was it, 10 days? 10-day road trip, RV trip, and a 40-foot country coachman, country coach, up to Yellowstone, Cody, Wyoming, and hung out there for a few days, and then came back down. So we went to from Austin to Amarillo, then Yes, up. we had the... We went to the, we big, went to the Texan. big Texan and had the. We, we didn't have the seventy-two ounce steak. We had no. the the. I had a twenty-four ounce porterhouse. I think you had like a sirloin or something. It yeah. wasn't very good. It weren't very good. No. I remember it being very good when we went there, but that was like fifteen years ago. Yeah, but it's it's still a fun experience. If yeah, you're kids liked it. Ever in Amarillo, it's you should try it. Yeah, maybe someday we'll do the seventy-two ounce steak. No, I don't think I could get that. I down. think Jacob maybe are. Our high school. Uh, yeah, our high school is a lot bigger than me. Um, yeah, so then we made our way to Colorado Springs, and we stayed at a KOA in Colorado Springs. Which, that was that was actually the best campground we yeah, stayed at. hands down. I mean, the kids were in heaven. They had a built-in trampoline, they had water slides, they had a pool, jacuzzi, golf carts. Uh, yeah, and there, it looked like there was a lot to do in Colorado Springs. I mean, honestly, for a place to take your kids, like if you're going on a summer trip, you could go there for a week, and I'm sure there's enough to do around Colorado Springs. Sure, if you got a rental car or towed a car or something. Yeah, or even if you don't have an RV, you can do... They had cabins, they had tent camping. Tent camping. Like, that was, a, that was a really nice, nice campground. Yeah, and the weather was solid 15 degrees cooler than Texas, so it was nice. Then we went to Cheyenne, which was disappointing in that we, had, we were originally going there because we were going to go to the Cheyenne Rodeo, and they canceled that because of COVID. So that's... So yeah, it, was, it was a ghost town. Ghost town. So that's a bummer. Yep. Um, that was short, though. We knew we were just kind of... It was one day. We were supposed to get in early, go to the fair, go to the rodeo, and a concert, and then take off the next morning. Well, and then all of that was canceled, so... Maybe we walked around downtown, but yeah. there was really no one there. Nothing no. going on. Went to the original um, Wrangler store. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, then we went to Cody, and Cody is one of the best towns I think we've ever been to, hands down. Um, yeah, it's about 45 miles east from Yellowstone. The east entrance of Yellowstone. East entrance of, yep. Which I don't have any data on this. I would assume that that's the least traveled entrance. Maybe the Montana guess. one, too. 
I think most people go in the Montana one. I thought most people went in the west entrance. Over that by, is the west entrance. No, there's a Jackson? there's a north. No, I, I believe that there's. We'll have to pull this up. I believe there's a high north entrance that comes in from Montana, a west entrance, and a. What would that be like? Southwest yeah. entrance. Southwest is the Tetons. Yeah. Then there's West entrance, and there's. So yeah. we'll have to look it up. I'm pretty sure there's. I think I'm an expert on it. Well, anyway, I mean that was cool, but Cody itself, like, is a, there is a ton of stuff to do. So the biggest, like, the biggest tourist attraction, which we actually didn't end up going to, is the Buffalo Bill Cody Museum, and they also have like a Plains Indians Museum. Uh, 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 firearms museum and that's like probably the most advertised thing around there we didn't have time to go to it because we were only there for three days because we were doing Yellowstone we did uh, zip lining at the, they have a ski resort that's, that's up there um, and we did river rafting and, that, and a, just a bunch of other stuff we are doing stuff every day so it we we not only could we go back up there but we are actually talking about Buying ourselves a vacation home slash uh, VRBO yeah. up there. I think in one of our former episodes, we talked about Redoso. Um, but this is, for us anyway, I think a much better option. Yeah, the kids loved it there too, which that's always nice. Like It helps seal the deal that they liked the vibe of the town. The, 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 the downtown is very walkable, and there's plenty of options when it comes to restaurants and shops it's you know the limited food's, the food's really good food for a small good. resort town yeah. like i because we well because it's not really a resort town yeah i guess not uh but it seems like it it oddly feels like it will probably turn into one there's a ski resort about 30 miles west west of town and then um but we got to do there's i mean the Shoshone River runs right through it, so we got to do whitewater rafting right there, and right. you can do fly fishing off of. Yeah, we didn't parts. we didn't get a chance to fish, but the fishing up there is supposed to be phenomenal. And they, had, I mean, they had I, I counted, I think four like fly fishing shops on that main street. So obviously, like that's kind of a mecca. And then there's that massive lake too. Right, we didn't even really right by the dam. Yeah, we didn't even really go over there. I mean, there's you can tell. I mean, there's so much more. To do than, yeah. than we did horseback riding everywhere. Yeah, we went horseback riding. We did that? We actually went. You know that place we went, the Bill Cody Ranch. That's uh, Buffalo Bill Cody's grandson formed that ranch. Yeah, that's cool. So that was cool. They have pictures of of him. Yeah, um, it's just neat. Like all the they have rocks everywhere, like the big rocks, and they have names for all of them. You know, like the Sleeping Giant or. There's the E.T. playing the keyboard, you know, there's the chimney rock, all these different... So rock climbing is obviously huge out there, too. So yeah. just so much to do, and uh, and being outdoors, it obviously, is, like, a big part of that community, and we love that. Hiking is huge there. And so. it's, it's a place where you can live in, like, a real cool, centrally located town where everything's walkable, but then be in the... A national park. The, a national park within 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, and... In real estate there, we've been looking around. It looks like you can find ample between two and four, like ample properties, 200000 and $400,000. Yeah, so I think we're going to do a three-bedroom, two-bath that we should get for about two fifty. And I think 
like when we were looking at like VRBO, we need to look into this a little more, but I think it'll rent out a good portion, especially in the summer. Well, I, so I don't, I, I, a little bit like conflicting information is that there's not a lot of VRBO there. So I don't know if that's because there's not a need or people, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There were so many tourists there. I know. Like, and and, and think of all the RV parks and not everyone has, wants to stay in an RV and not everyone has one. I know. And a lot of people don't even realize they have their own airport. Like everyone's like, you have to drive up there. No, you can fly there too. Yeah. yeah, Like think of every other resort town. Like most of them, you have to drive in like an hour. Like the exception would be like Jackson and Jackson has its own ski resort right there. Yeah. But Jackson's also like, for the home that would cost two fifty in Cody, that's going to cost eight fifty in yeah. Jackson. Like it's it's not even a comparison. Yeah. And Kanye West bought a bunch of land there and is moving in Cody. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, that's so good we reason. think that it, it, this would be one of those investments. I think that will be maybe a little bit more personal, right? With the hope of appreciation and a little bit of. Um, Income from it. We'll have to eat some of the mortgage because we're going to probably spend, you know, at first like two weeks, but then eventually up to a month in the summer there because it's so much cooler than Texas. And then we'll probably spend a couple weeks every winter there as well. So, I mean, when you're, when you're taking up four to six weeks, you know, staying there, you're not going to be able to make up that up in, in the other time, especially since we're going to be staying a month there in the summer, which is right. We'll be there season. like over 4th of July. That's the high season. But I mean, I think it's a, it, it, it's a cool place. And if we have another pandemic, <laughs> then we'll, we'll go there. There's no, there's no coronavirus in Cody, Wyoming. Yeah. Oops. Sorry about that. Um, um, all right. So, so that was, that was our road trip. That was fun. Um, come back home and we were full steam ahead today trying to find off market. Off market real. So let's, let's say why we're, we're trying to do that. Cause we've, we're now on, well, we have two houses in escrow right now and that those will be our fourth and our fifth properties, but investment properties, investment properties, rentals, what, what we're having to take a step back to do is figure out how to get these properties at better deals. And kind of the genesis of this was one of the properties we're buying, a buddy turned me on to a a turnkey service out in, in uh, Memphis and they do little rock as well. And I'm buying one house in each. And these are houses that are around a hundred thousand. So they're about half, a little under half the value of the houses we normally buy around here. But it, 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 it just, it seemed like, uh, and it is, it's, it's a good return. Like, you know, there, it, it's about 10% cash on cash return. Yeah. And that that's, you know, really good. But what I noticed going into it is they were buying these houses for, you know, $50,000, putting 25,000 into them and selling them to me for a hundred. And, you know, the thing is, yeah. So they're making, they're flipping it. They're making they're, twenty-five. They're, they're flipping it to yeah. investors, and and some of them they're keeping for themselves as well. Presumably the best ones. So like Katie and I kind of had a discussion about well, what we should be doing for our houses around here is instead of buying them off the MLS, we need to buy them off market and get things that we can put a little work into and either sell them to someone else or when it makes sense, put them in our own portfolio. So the first one we're looking to do, um, is 
well, we haven't finalized it yet. What we're looking at is it's a two bedroom, one bath for a hundred. She's offering it for one hundred fifty five. Two bedroom, one and a half bath. Okay. Um, that might be the MLS sheet right there, upside down. Okay. Um, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Here's the here's the stats. Two bedroom, two bath. 1,200 square feet, built in 2003, and we think we can probably get it for about 155. Well, she she basically said 155. Yeah, if all works out. Um, we that's I think that if we put it on the market without doing anything to it, we could list it at 170. If we clean it up, then we could. The goal would be 190, maybe right. maybe 199. Right. Um, and now, so we went through and ran some numbers to figure out. We haven't been in it yet, so we don't know the condition right. of it. There's been one tenant in there for five years. Apparently, he takes great care of it, but we don't know. So, uh, potentially, we have about $15,000 worth of So, work. I have... Uh, yeah, and we'll have to we'll have to wait till we actually go in the place which we're going in tomorrow to see. But you know what it looks like is I have eighteen thousand. That'll change. Like, and if if that's the case, and we get one ninety for it after the agent gets paid and all, everything, there's no fees in this transaction. We'll have to pay the buyer's agent. Oh, when we when sell, we'll it. sell it, yeah. Right. Sorry, the the return should be. Well, the raw return because we're making about eighty six hundred, and we're having to put in uh, one hundred and seventy five thousand. The raw returns, you know, four point nine percent, which doesn't sound good. Except that's in you know four months' time, which means annualized, it's more like fifteen point four percent. And so for this first one, we we said we're not going to use debt to do it. We're actually going to do it from um, from my IRA. Um, just so we learn how to flip, we make any mistakes where, cause look, if you screw this up at the very least, you know, you're going to be able to sell it for what you have into it. Right. You know, that would be a complete screw up. And, and then we're not using, we're, we're not having issues having to pay extra interest or anything like that. We're going to work towards having a, uh, uh, a line of credit on our house you know, hopefully by next year to where we can use cheap money to go ahead and do these. And there's alternate lending sources as well that, you know, are always willing to lend to people doing this as well. So we'll look into those. But, you know, eventually what we want to do is do this to put this in our rental pool because I looked, I ran the numbers on this as well. And the rental comps, we get about 1500 a month from something like this. And, you know, when you look at that, we wouldn't put as much into it. You, you basically put about half as much in as if you were flipping it and selling it because you don't have to for renters. You only have to do one coat of paint and, instead of yeah, two. Yeah, so maybe you only what you mean is you could put, you could um, shortcut some of the the product. Yeah, you don't have to do granite. You can do, you know, yeah. uh, what do you call it, but, mica or whatever. Well, but I would still recommend doing long-term materials. Like yeah. weather, like I... I would probably not put carpet in, just so you don't have to keep replacing well, that, it. Well, that that vinyl wood, yeah. um, that that stuff looks that cheap, great. Yeah. And it's cheap, and but even that, you wouldn't need to do as nice of a one as if yeah. you were flipping it. So anyway, when it comes down, you know that that makes the cash on cash return of this. You know, because the other thing is, is 
whatever you put into it, when they go to appraise it, they'll give you 75% of whatever the appraised value is. So when you end up looking at it, you're not going to have to put the full 25% in. The cash we'll have to put in is more like 15%. And that increases our cash on cash return, but it doesn't add to the risk because it's basically... It's as if we bought the house for, I, I, I thought the value, like if, if we did as a rental, would be 180 And it's like we bought it for that, but we only paid 167 for it. So that extra $13,000, that's just straight profit to us right. in, in terms of increased equity. So the cash on cash return as a result goes up significantly to over 10%. So this would be a good deal if we wanted to do it as a rental. We're not going to do that right now just because we don't want to have to borrow money to do it. But, you know, eventually that's going to be kind of the way we're, we're going to do these. Right. So. So we went to, out to this neighborhood to drive around today and. Plum Creek and. Broke and down and, and some neighboring neighborhoods and wrote down like, I don't know, 60 addresses yep. that we're going to send a mailer out to and try see if any one of them would be... Because how did you get that one, the $155,000 one? So that I got because I put a message on the local boards saying... Hey, I'm looking, I'm looking to buy market. an investment yeah. property. I'm looking to buy another house in the neighborhood. Um, I tried to come across a little less threatening than an investor agent type approach because that neighborhood gets attacked by investors. Sure. Um, it's a top rated school. We've talked about this neighborhood in the past. It's just, it's this little gem that's appreciating like crazy. Uh, so, so it's a, and it's a sweet spot for investor pricing what's left. Um, so we'll see. I mean, no one may buy it. We don't know, but we'll try. We already got someone to buy it. I mean, but, yeah, not... just from that one post. But now from letters, we'll see what yeah, comes we'll see of that. Comes. Um, and but while we were there, we basically drove into the eye of a storm. Yeah, it was crazy. Like we had to pull over into a <laughs> high school, elementary school, or a element or a middle school or something, and we had to wait it out because it was blowing the car around, and I couldn't see when I was driving. Yeah, that was insane, like, rain cell that just, it dumped, I read on the Plum Creek page, it dumped an inch of rain in, like, a 10-minute span. Wow. All these people were posting pictures of the well, fences down. Yeah, the fen- like, we drove, we drove past, because we were looking at for, like, worn-down houses, and then as we leave, we're, we're seeing all these fences <laughs> that blew like, over. Like, sure, go knock on their door and see if they want to move now that their fence fell yeah, down? Yeah, see if they'll sell to us. Yeah. Cheap. Yeah, so that uh, that was our Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, what's on deck for you? Uh, back to work this week because I was gone for 10 days, so looking forward to some... Uh, it's busy. It's, uh, it's exciting, so we got a, a lot of stuff on the HHS front that's going to be good. Yeah, I'm working on the deal right now. For a buyer that we're trying to get an off-market house that's going to go on the market. And so we're trying to come in a little lower because of the convenience of never having to go on the MLS, you know. So we'll see. Fingers crossed we can get these parties to agree. Right now we are about... um, 
$20,000 apart. That's a, it's a little much. Um, I have a, approval to go up now another 13000 but then we'll still be $7,000 apart. So I don't know if they'll come down anymore before they go on the market. Yeah, I have to see. We'll have to see. So been hustling and working on that all weekend. Um, that was another one I found just by saying, hey, is anyone interested in selling? And that that seller landed in my lap. So. People are. And like if, like getting back to the, the flipping, you know, when you think of the reasons people might want to do that, I mean, number one, people don't love putting their house on the market. So to be able to do it off market, there's some value there. You know, people, rightly or wrongly, think they can avoid the the agent fees. Now, us as investors, we're trying to get a deal, so they may be better served, frankly, to have an agent representing them um, in most cases. Yeah. You know, but a lot of people, they just they they just don't like. It was funny because you had someone look at your house that you're listing who said. Yeah. Well, I want to save the agent fees, so I'm going to represent myself. And you're not going to give them a deal because, number one, they can't even write a contract. Like, you have to write the contract. Well, and then on top of that, like, I think what people forget because of the way the industry is kind of conformed to it is the seller's agent is under contract with the seller. Right. And the seller agrees to pay the seller's agent a sum, a percentage, typically. Sometimes it's a lump sum. Most, in most cases, it's a percentage. Um, and I'm not even gonna try to standardize it and say that it's, it's always 6%, because it's not. No. It's 100. I've already experienced it not being 6% always, but let's just use that number. It's whatever it is. Yeah, let's call it 6%. And now the seller's agent, chooses to pay usually with the guidance of the seller chooses to pay the buyer's agent a commission so for a unrepresented buyer to walk in and assume that they get a three percent discount is naive because the seller's agent is under contract like they're the ones that would have to make that decision to give up their three percent. Well, and just and just candidly because you're gonna have to talk to your sellers about this but I you know you'll probably be like look I'll give you guys some some kind of a discount, but I'm going to have to work more because these people can't write a contract. They can't do an amendment. Do, they they're, can't they're going to need help get, getting inspections, like all of that stuff. So you are, like, even though you're not representing them technically, you are going to have to do more. So, you know, 4 or 5% is still reasonable. And, well, and, 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 and as savvy as you are as a buyer, you've got to be careful. There's so many little boxes on the contract that... Need to be checked. Yeah, but, you and, can... and here's what's going to happen is the contract that's going to come over from you is going to have buyer paying all title, all escrow fees. And, you know, sometimes that stuff's negotiated. And, you know, you may have made, you may end up making your seller more and this buyer may end up paying more than they otherwise would have had they been represented. So, you know, it's just naive to think that unless you're very experienced that you're going to make money representing yourself in, in your real estate. Right. And it kind of goes back to, we listened to 5,000 podcasts along the road this last week and almost every single one repeatedly, every person, every guest, everyone says, do what, do what you're good at and have other people do what they're good at. 
So right. if you're not good at painting, don't try to take on the painting of your flip. And every single one of them said that they have an agent get them their deals. Right. You know, unless they can somehow work an off-market thing, but they but they still have an agent involved. So let the experts do their work and you do what you're good at. And maybe you're good at finding the deal or maybe you're good at bringing the whole team together, whatever it is. But it does, it's so interesting just to, it's important to save a buck. So we are hustling and driving around a neighborhood to try to save a buck. So I get that mentality of like any way you can, but it, like you mentioned, it could be very costly to not have an agent involved. Um, there's a reason why they get paid the big bucks. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay. What about... Uh, so you got that listing that hopefully you can you can sell. You got this other deal you're working on. What else are you working on? I have a house under contract, a new construction home um, under contract. And we're about to do the drywall, which good thing we just walked it because we found quite a few like cracks and damaged stuff that would have been drywalled and you would never know that it's there. So it's pretty important to do that. Can you, can you talk, drywall this walk. is, can you talk about like someone doing new construction, your advice to someone buying new construction and how to deal with the builder in terms of if you go too hard on the builder, I think you've run into this, yep. that you can end up really biting yourself. It, there's in the a, there's a total dance that you need to do. Um, so, yeah, you need to set the tone that you want as close to perfection as you can. You right? want quality like, work. You're buying, you so want you're quality buying. work. That's a great way to describe it. And frequent visits are important. You, like, I, I don't understand when people are like, yeah, I'm just going to trust the process. I wouldn't because they sub out a lot of the work. Like you're now trusting someone that they kind of trust and someone that they kind of trust. Right. So you gotta, you gotta check in on the process, but you also need to, um, tread carefully on your requests and your demands from the builder, especially if you have a warranty afterwards, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff that they can do for almost free for you if you are in good if you're cool with them yeah if you're in a good relationship with them and you've been a an easy client and then by the same token if you've been a pain in the rear there may be things there may be things that they're contractually obligated to do that they won't just despite you well there there may be i i think i would i would wager to guess that almost 50 percent of warranty requests are not technically warrantable items, but they just do them in the first year to like show that they want a quality product too. Um, but if you're a jerk, they're going to push back on you and they're going to stop doing it. So yeah, I've seen that. I have a client that is really having a hard time right now and, and some of their work really does need to be repaired. And it's like they've shut the shop windows. No one wants to help them anymore because they have just asked and pushed. Because it's the old story about crying wolf. Like, you yeah. know, eventually people don't believe you and people don't want to help you. And you're kind of like... It's kind of common sense, well, you think. But, like, I mean, when you go to a restaurant, you're rude to the waitress. Guess who's carrying your food to your table? Bad idea. It's, it's that same thing. Like, this person is building your home. 
Like you don't want to piss them off. You right. don't want to piss off the workers. You know, if you, if anything, if you're going there frequently, you're bringing them ice cold sodas and a pizza to say thank you for building this home. Sure. You know, like those little gestures go a long way with those contractors. So, um, anyhow, so that is, I'm working on a project there. We got to go check on everything this week before the walls go up just to kind of make sure that they, they, they sent us pictures. I'm sure it's fine, but that should all verify. Um, and then I have some land that we have five acre or five tracks of approximately 10 acres a piece that will hopefully be going live on the MLS within 45 days. Right. Um, that's been a, a really long project. So that is in the works and then a few other little things. Um, I know you're looking at land and some subdivision with your company. So that potentially could be interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, um, that's it. We're, I would say like everyone keeps asking me, how's your market in Austin? And we have a low inventory market in Austin, which then creates a hot market, right? It's a, it's a seller's market, if you will. Um, in most areas there's pockets like, our subdivision is a bit slower. We have ample inventory in the mar- in the in our market, but Austin as a whole has rebounded beautifully from COVID. We have Tesla coming out, and that's already that neighborhood went from houses in the one nineties, and they're already up to the two thirties. Yeah. I mean, those those folks are still those folks are, those folks are the, really they're building new construction out there and there's wait list after wait list for the yeah investors. those folks who bought in before that announcement I mean they had no idea that this wasn't a blip on the radar and they I mean, are going to just since the announcement those houses have probably gone up 50k the new the new communities you can't buy a house in them no like, there's a waiting list I'm on like five different waiting lists so um that we have Amazon's putting a factory over in Kyle Buda area uh, distribution headquarters. Yeah, distribution center would be great, great for for job growth out there, and great for the rental market. We have rentals there. We'll look yeah, at yeah because those aren't those, those aren't like high power executive jobs. Those are just those no, are, but it'll probably like same with Tesla. I think yeah. I read that it'll be. Um, a couple thousand jobs in the forty to fifty-five thousand. Right, which salary. frankly, the Austin area doesn't have enough of those. Like Austin has a lot of like they don't have enough homes high, for them either. Austin has a lot of high-end jobs, and they have kind of like like a lot of low-end jobs. And there's not enough of those kind of forty to one hundred thousand dollar range jobs. Yeah. So that's good. And it'll be it'll be top housing. We'll have to like our. Planning and development is going to have to figure out homes for that yeah, price range. Just renters, like people in that price range, rent. I like, know. Whenever, whenever you, the governments try to figure out this planning stuff, it's always stupid. And it, it, developers are going to develop what's in demand. So we'll, well see. I think there's a demand for a two hundred thousand dollar home. Oh yeah, there. I get what you're saying. Yeah, so they may, but but you could see development like out towards Bastrop. You could see more like. On the 130 side of where Kyle is, so that would be like towards you know Lockhart and yeah. and Neowald, like that area could could develop. So there's going to be a lot more of those two hundred thousand dollar neighborhoods, but 
places like Kyle and Buda where we've already invested, I think those are going to quickly outpace yeah. the 200 to 1,000 range. You know, and those They're putting good. a big mall over there, too, so that will be... And it's supposed to be like kind of an upscale. Although, like, I don't know if malls are really even going to work anymore with all this. But Yeah, we went to the San Marcos outlets and... Yeah, I mean, some of those stores, like, they're, they're just not worth going into. Because you have to, like, the Lululemon, didn't they have, like, a digital waiting list or something? Yes, they had a digital waiting list with 55 people on it, and it was, like, a two-and-a-half-hour wait. And the mall closed in an hour and a half. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm out of here. Like, I don't like shopping like that. It's 102 degrees, and they only allow nine people in the store, and you have to have a mask on. So you're waiting outside in the heat with a mask on. Yeah, pass. No, thank you. I don't need to shop. I can shop online. So it's going to destroy brick and mortar. Um, Yeah, if they keep doing this. I mean, hopefully the... the... Speaking of that, I mean, what do you think is going to happen with commercial space, too? I Like, I'll tell you that even in our office, like... We went from, before the pandemic, like, demanding that everyone work in the office, you know, right. because we thought everyone were productive to... And you guys were, like, what, 80% full? Yeah, and now it's now we demand that everyone works from home because we don't want, you know, outbursts of, outbursts of COVID. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's been some productivity loss, you know, Um but I just wonder how this is going to affect even just commercial real estate. Like, I, I think, like, so, so we own our property, so it's not a big deal. But you go in my office for the last six months, me and four other people to ten people at most are there. Like, we, we're, I mean, we're literally a, you know, a company that earns over half a billion dollars in revenue that doesn't necessarily need an office to survive. Right. So I think commercial real estate may shift majorly. Like people that were thinking they needed to get a bigger building don't now. Now here's something to think about as we go into flipping and single family homes. You know, you need to well, you need to think about to at least at least office worthy spaces. So you know, I I I don't think anyone's going to sit there and go, you know, I could afford a three bedroom, two bath for two hundred, but now I can't live without a five bedroom for. Right. Three three fifty. They just can't afford it. But like how can you take like little rooms and, and turn them into office like spaces, yeah. you know, with maybe like using a set built in secretary's desk or, you know, something so you can get a computer, a printer there and but builders are right now, they've already switched gears and pivoted and they are starting dual offices. Yeah. Um, you're seeing media rooms go away and offices sure. get put in there, especially like families that are doing online learning. So they almost need like a school, like a people school. are putting pods, you know, of, so six to 10 kids are coming to their house once or twice a week to do their learning. So yeah, you need, your house needs to do, it has to be more flexible and that's, so we've seen a major spike in land sales throughout Texas, probably everywhere. Throughout the country. It was going on in Cody, too. Yeah. So land sales have gone up like crazy because people realize, like, if I'm going to have to be quarantined, I want to be able to have land. Yeah. If you're in New York City and you just went through that quarantine in an you're apartment, probably can you imagine? looking at land somewhere. Like, and, and now you are working from home. Like, why would you live in New York City? 
why would you live in San Francisco? You live anywhere in the world. Why yeah. would you live in LA? Like, when you're seeing like all my doctor's appointments have been virtual, so now a doctor doesn't have to pay high rent. Yeah, they can work from their home. You know, like there's probably going to be like they have one day where they're in an office and they can just lease that out. Like it's cha- it's going to change everything. It's yeah, it's weird because like even like networking with people now, like all these meetings are virtual and that's the way people are doing it, but. Like everyone still, everyone still wants to come together. Like, you know, right now it's all our friends who we knew before. So we're not really meeting new people, but everyone wants to go to other people's houses and like hang out. Like, so I, I don't know how long this is all going to last. I mean, but definitely for the foreseeable future, I can't see it. I can't see this like going away this year. Whereas, you know, three months ago I would have said, Oh, this will be done by August 1st right right now. But now like, I think it's going to be like this through the end of the year, at least. Well, and I think some of the effects will be with us forever. You're right. Like the virtualness, like the ability to work from home, the ability to work anywhere in the world is actually a good quality of life for us, for a lot of people. Like I, like, you know, our, like our office, like I like working out of the office and, but I mean, theoretically the way it's going now, I could work at a Cody a month and yeah, it, it wouldn't be a big a deal because I'm on the phone and I'm on virtual meetings. I, I haven't gone in a conference room with other people in four months. I used to do that every single day. It's crazy. It It is crazy, like how much it's changed things. So, you know, I think... You wonder, it, though, like the lack of productivity that you mentioned, in some ways, there may be more productivity because more productivity, yeah. there's a lot of time wasted in these conference meetings. Well, and I've had a, like, I've had a few Not people... Not to say you guys did, but just I've been in many that I'm like, that was a waste of my time. Oh, sure. Well, we, we, we waste time all the time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, whereas with the, with the Google Hangouts, not that I ever do this, but you theoretically could click the button to mute yourself and click the button to take the video off yourself and continue to go through emails on meetings that aren't necessary. Right. When all of a sudden well, the, you're, the other thing is for people with young kids, like they're finding, um, that, you know, they're starting, they're working from home all day and they're, they're working, but obviously they get interrupted by kids and then they're just finishing up at night. So they may spend two hours in the day with their kids, you know, doing stuff. Yeah. And then go back and and just do stuff like yeah. a little later. So that that's the part that I it, it's better quality of life. I think. I think because you know you you need to work eight hours a day. It doesn't necessarily matter which eight hours. So you know if you can get a couple hours done, you know, early in the morning before your kids wake up, and then. You know, you can spend two or three hours with them in the park in the middle of the day, and you live in a, a and you live in a place where you can easily get there, and it's not too expensive. I think I think those are positives. The, the one downside I see of all that is, and I just don't know how this is going to play out. So much of an advancement in a person's career is based on connections and personal person ex, exposure. You can't just. You're getting less of that now. Yeah. Just from my perspective as a CFO, I don't see the people in accounting or marketing or any division. I don't see them as much as I used to, and I don't interact with them barely at all. And so for you know a younger person or a newer person who's trying to advance in their career, it's going to be a lot harder for them to get in front of someone like me. So I think people are going to need to figure out how to be a little more proactive, and I need yeah. to be a little more proactive with 
kind of virtual networking and, and figuring all that out. And I haven't figured it out at all yet. So that's just, that that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing here. Yeah. One last note on how things have changed. I've been complaining about this since day one is for some reason with this like excuse that we're in a pandemic due to the pandemic, we've cut our customer service. Oh, sure. We've cut our customer service. We've cut our customer service, but they haven't cut the cost. They haven't cut the price. Like McDonald's has a limited menu. Like I I really don't care, but they have, they're offering one size soda. Well, you and I know that that is major cost saving for them. Sure. Forcing everyone to buy a large soda and they only have to purchase one size cup, right? Like this, that's huge cost savings. Like I went to get a massage and they weren't offering the coconut water and they weren't offering the bananas and but the price is the same, but the price is the same. And that's part of the experience, right? So they're, and then they, they actually charged a $3 cleaning fee. And I was, I was irate and not because of $3. They didn't tell you, but I, yeah, it snuck in at the end. And what were you not cleaning before? Right. So now I'm like grossed out. Now I don't even want to go back because that's weird. So just it to me, it's like taking advantage of a situation. Like you're you're chintzing here, and you're not lowering your price. Customer service is gone. People think it, they actually are rude right now. And and it's. It's one of those things where even we can forgive it temporarily because it's like, yeah. well, these a lot of these businesses, they almost went under. They got to make up, you know, lot for lost time. But there's going to come honestly, a point. Honestly, rather someone say that than just say, like, they're just like, due to the pandemic, we can no longer offer this or we can't do this or you have to sit here. Or, I don't know. It just feels like it's acceptable now to not have customer service. Well, and also even things like when we were at dinner last night, they wanted, the guy wanted to sign my credit card for me on his little credit card thing. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like you're not committing bank fraud with, with me like right here. And he's like, well, you know, otherwise we have to clean the machine. It's like, well, clean the machine, dude. Like, what are we doing? You're not signing for me and, yeah. and, and, and what leaving yourself an extra tip or whatever, like no way. Yeah. No, I know it's, I would, I would, you know, I would, I would think what's going to happen is the businesses that are going to start getting back to focusing on customer service are going to thrive, thrive, especially in the restaurant and you know, those other industries. The service industry is not service related. Like a hotel, half of them have their pools open. Great. Half of them don't. The ones that don't are offering a lower rate. Right. Or they're saying we're not cleaning your rooms. Or they're not doing continental breakfast. And it's like, you got, what what sucks right now is it used to be you'd go on, you know, Expedia or Kayak or whatever and you'd pick a hotel. Now you have to call that hotel and say, hey, is your pool open? Are you doing continental breakfast? Because what they're doing is you show up and nothing's open and, and the price hasn't changed. And it's like, well, if you're not serving the continental breakfast, and you're not doing the Why pool. am I not getting a discount? Yeah, or why wouldn't I just go to an Airbnb or something Right, and that's what people else. are doing. So I, I think the focus has to go back as quickly as people can to customer service because you're just shooting yourselves in the foot in the long term. And I am so, and I worked for Nordstrom for 10 years, so I'm brainwashed on how important service is. So I, I look for it everywhere I go. I'm loyal to it when I get it. And so... 
I will be so disappointed if this is like a shift in our industry and this is like becomes a new norm. That will be a big disappointment. I mean, even I did a return at Nordstrom when they first reopened and I had probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had there. Nordstrom's changed a lot in the last 10, yeah, 10 that's disheartening for me to hear or accept, but it was, it was a bad experience. So, um, the service capital is failing me. But anyhow, so that would be one sad change. One thing that I really hope does go away is uh, this lack of service yeah. that people are offering. Um, yeah, I think that's probably it for today. I think we've... Okay. Well, we're going to commit to getting regular podcasts out. I know we've slacked out, slacked off. Can we just um, blame it on the pandemic like everybody it's, else does? Yeah, it's, it's because <laughs> of the pandemic. These are COVID-friendly podcasts. We're just trying to keep all our listeners safe out there. Yes, sir. Okay. Happy right. Sunday. See you.